Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, Buffalo Bills fans. It's Matt Warren, editor-in-chief at buffalorumlings.com and the host of Buffalo Rumlings Q&A on the Buffalo Rumlings Podcast Network. The Buffalo Bills moved to 1-1 one one on the season and back atop the AFC East with their win over the Miami Dolphins in Week 2. It was, a, in some ways, a very convincing win. I mean, they won 35 to nothing. But in other ways, it seemed a little unsettled still, too, um, which is a very, very strange spot to be in. I'm one of those guys that's always like, you know, just getting the win is enough. But I also try to take that like uh, zoomed out approach to see what kind of implications it could have going forward and so the questions this week are very much reflective of that so if you want to send in your questions for next week's episode give us a call 716-508-0405 is our voicemail line you can tweet us at rumlings q and a email us buffalo rumlings at sbnation.com send us instagram or facebook messages and those will get their way to me as well but i it's so weird when some people are like, oh, the Bills dominated, and some people are like, oh, the Bills have some major questions going forward. And I think there's room for both opinions in the fan base, obviously. Um, you know, we don't try to tell people how to be a fan at Buffalo Rumblings. There's lots of ways to be a fan. But there's just so many differing opinions about this one and one Buffalo Bills team. Uh, let's start with my takeaways from the game. These are what I wrote immediately following the game, in some cases during the game. Um, the pass rush erupts. Um, I was writing this right after the first drive uh, because the Bills had two sacks in the first three plays of the game, uh, both by defensive backs, Taron Johnson and Micah Hyde. Uh, the play calling was really um, was really random, uh, and I mean that in a, a really positive way. Um, Leslie Frazier had the Dolphins with no idea what was going to be coming on the next play, and it worked to perfection. Um, throughout the game, Greg Rousseau added his first two NFL sacks, one when he dropped into coverage and one when he was on a really nice pass rush. Uh, Justin Zimmer and Matt Milano also had sacks. Uh, Mario Addison, um, Jerry Hughes, Tredavis White, Ed Oliver, A.J. Klein, um, especially A.J. Epinesa, I thought had a really, really nice day generating pressure on the quarterbacks and eventually a big fourth down hit from Epinesa um, forced an early throw um, from Tua Tagoviola and he left the game with a rib injury. It was a perfectly clean hit like I said at the time and the replay on the shoulder didn't land on top of him. I mean it's everything that the NFL wants. It was a big clean hit. Now he didn't stop the throw from happening but he forced it early and then the um 
the Dolphins turned it over on downs, and then he left the game uh, because of that injury. I guess it's bruised ribs. He should, well, he has a chance to play in week three and beyond, uh, which is good news for him and good news for the Dolphins. And in reality, it's good news for the Bills because I don't think he's very good. But they had six QB hits and four sacks before halftime, finishing with six sacks and 11 QB hits. Um, every single time you were watching uh, a replay of the pass rush, it felt like you know one of the Dolphins quarterbacks was picking themselves off, off the ground. So uh, it looks like the defensive line investment is paying off. I think it also has a lot to do with how bad the, the, Dolphins, def- the offense, Dolphins offensive line was. Say Dolphins offensive five times fast. Um, you know, there was a couple plays where there was eight Miami Dolphins in the block and four Buffalo Bills pass rushers, and Buffalo was still generating pressure. So, um, you know, as, as good as the Bills pass rush probably was um, on Sunday and how Leslie Frazier was dialing it up, it's at least partly due to the Dolphins' offensive line as well. Next up, uh the defense just needs another headline. I couldn't I mean the defense was so good. They shut out the Miami Dolphins. It was the first shutout, the first road shutout in a long time. Um, the first shutout in you know a couple years. Uh, they were just awesome. They held the Dolphins to 216 yards all game. Um, even though they were playing from behind all game and they should have been trying to get chunk yards. You know, the Bills defense did not go into like this prevent defense and just allow Miami to move the ball down the field. You know, Buffalo was playing it hard-nosed the entire game. Coverage was outstanding. Um, I thought Levi Wallace had a really nice game before he had to leave with his uh, cramping. Uh, He had leg cramps because of the humidity and the heat uh, down there in South Florida. Uh, But he had a couple really nice pass breakups. Um, He had the interception, of course, where he peeled off his his deep receiver to undercut it. I mean, it was very Tredavious White-like, that interception uh, from Levi Wallace. He understood what was happening. In the backfield, the pass rush was going to get to Tua, and so he was going to take the short one, and he had help over the top from the safety, so he became a robber, and it just it was a beautiful interception uh, from Levi Wallace. The other guy we really need to talk about is Taron Johnson. Um, the guy just has no regard for his own body and his own personal safety. He comes up and does some great run fits. Um he had a couple really nice plays on, say, uh, the fourth down conversion play where uh, his shoulder separated the receiver from the ball, um, forcing the um, forcing the turnover. He just he plays really well. If he can stay healthy, that's the issue because he has no regard for his body. He only knows how to play one way that sometimes he ends up injuring himself. Uh, but even the backups, um, A.J. Klein, Dane Jackson, and then eventually at the end of the game when they got into garbage time, the backups just played really, really nice. Um, Miami held the ball for th- over 31 and a half minutes, but it only gained 216 yards, and that's a good day. Miami was 0 for 4 on fourth downs and 8 for 18 on third down. What a difference a run game can make. We'll stay on the positive train here. Um, 46-yard touchdown run from uh, Devin Singletary right off the bat, then a 35-yard play-action pass on the heels of that on the very next drive. You know, that that was successful. Doing the, the run game stuff helps. Um, Zach Moss overcame an early fumble to have two really, really tough touchdown runs 
Um, there were fewer design run plays for Josh Allen this week, which I really appreciated. Um, they gave Zach Moss the ball in those short yarded situations, and um, and when they were trying to get the you know get the ball rolling, so to speak. Um, but even Josh Allen managed 35 yards and a couple of nice third down conversions on the run. Not necessarily designed, but still using his feet. So that was nice. Um, and they were almost 50-50 in terms of play calling, uh, run versus pass. So a lot more balanced. I don't think we're going to see that every week, and I don't think we need to see that every week. But just making sure you have that um, arrow in your quill makes other defenses have to prepare for it. And, um, and that's a positive step for the Bills. Buffalo is in Miami's head. Buffalo just has the Dolphins' number. Sean McDermott has Brian Flores' number, has the Dolphins' number even before with Adam Gase. Uh, six straight wins by Buffalo over Miami. It would be seven if Charles Clay didn't drop a pass at the end zone with a minute left in the game. Um, they scored more than 30 points in all six of those wins. Um, their average margin of victory is I mean, just freaking nuts um, against the Miami Dolphins. And at some point, that's going to stop just the law of averages. Um, you know, maybe it's on Halloween uh, when the Bills host the Dolphins. Maybe it's next year. Um, but you know, at some point that has to even out. I don't think the Bills are you know light years ahead of the Dolphins like the Patriots were with the Bills for forever, or even the '70s Dolphins and the and the Buffalo Bills then. So it's going to even out at some point. Um, maybe not to 50-50. You know, the Bills still have Josh Allen and. Um, I think a superior roster, but at some point the Dolphins are going to win a game over the Bills, but <laughs> hopefully not this season and you know maybe not for a while. Um, and then the last thing, it still doesn't look settled in the passing offense. And you know whether it's a mechanics issue, I know some people were talking about how Josh Allen is leaving his hips open a little bit more on some of his passes, um, or um, I heard that he's trying to steer the ball when it's in the air uh, by taking some zip off the ball he's just he's leaving yards on the field over and over again um they scored 35 points so it's not all that bad but it just doesn't seem like Allen and offensive coordinator Brian Dable are in sync um you know Allen missed a wheel route to a wide open Devin Singletary um then threw an interception to Stefan Diggs on the very next play it was just an awful sequence from Allen it was bad ball placement um you know and whether it is that mechanics issue or not it just it needs to be corrected and, and Allen has shown his ability to to do that to self-scout and correct mistakes and he's going to need to do it again um Right before the half, he was lofting a pass to Stefan Diggs, and that was nearly picked off. Um, you know, he had a perfectly clean pocket in the first quarter and was seeing ghosts or feeling ghosts and, and decided to scramble out to the right um, where the pressure actually was, even though he had that really nice pocket. Um, in the third quarter, Emmanuel Sanders was wide open in the seam, but Allen threw it to Isaiah McKenzie on the sideline and almost got picked off again. It just, um, it seems like Allen was off again. And that's two straight weeks he was off. Um, he wasn't great against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. Um, I'd argue he wasn't that great in the Ravens game. Um, he was outstanding in the Colts game. So it's not like you can go back five, six, seven games for Allen saying he hasn't had a great game in a long time. I mean, he had a great game against the Colts. But since then, it's just kind of been a little bit of a struggle. It took him 35 minutes of game time to get to 100 yards passing. Um, and the Dolphins have a great secondary, but we can't just keep saying that, oh, they're playing a great defense, so 
we we can't expect the offense to play well. We did that last week against the Steelers. Oh, their pass rush was so good. We couldn't really expect them. Well, those are the teams you're going to have to play in the playoffs. You know, you're going to see better teams than you know, the, you know the Houston Texans falling apart. It can't just be like, oh, well, they looked great against the Texans. They looked great against Washington football team. They have to look great against good defenses uh, and great defenses. They have to be able to overcome that. And so um, I'm getting a little bit concerned about how it always becomes, oh, well, they're a great defense. Um, I'm not concerned about Allen just yet, but the excuse making is um, it's not going to work for me, at least with the fan base. I know that they're not doing that inside the building. All right. When we come back, I've got some questions from you all after the game. Uh, so don't go anywhere. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun. But it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. All right, to your questions. Over at Rumblings Q&A, Jesse Lyons asks, why does Allen look so bad? Yeah, he has not looked great. He had a really nice pass to Emmanuel Sanders on that play-action pass in the first uh, first quarter. Uh, but even that bomb to Stephon Diggs where he just kind of chucked it up and let Diggs go get it. Diggs had to come back to that. Maybe that was the plan. At least he put air under it because that was the problem in week one with the Emmanuel Sanders pass uh, up the seam is that he line-drived it. And uh, so Sanders wasn't able to get under the ball. Um I don't really know what the problem is with Allen right now. Um, like I said earlier in the podcast, some people are saying he's not getting all the way through on his hips on some of those throws. But, you know, in the first week, he had that Steph- Stephon Diggs throwback where he lofted it instead of rifled it, and the cornerback the was able to get under it. Um, 
it just it seems like he's trying too hard um and that seems to be a common thread with alan is that sometimes when he tries to do everything um it feels like he's um i don't know white knuckling it um he, he he's trying too hard so like what when I said steering the ball earlier, it feels like instead of just throwing to the spot he's supposed to throw it to, he's trying to like will it to do weird, strange things in the air and, um, and maybe sometimes put too much touch on it or, you know, well, okay, here's a great example. Um, that pass to Isaiah McKenzie that was almost intercepted. He had Emmanuel Sanders in the seam. That's a read problem. It's not an arm problem. It's not you know, a hips problem. He read the wrong route and then um, threw it poorly and it almost got picked off. Um, against the Steelers, he had he took a deep shot to the end zone to Stephon Diggs, who was in double or triple coverage, and underneath had Devin Singletary for like a 20-yard chunk game. Like, just take what the defense gives you, man. Um, and that's harder when they're dropping six or seven uh, people into coverage on every snap or even eight people into coverage like the Steelers did sometimes. You know, if they can generate a pass rush with the front three guys and drop eight into coverage, that's really hard for any quarterback to overcome. That's how you beat Tom Brady. That's how you beat uh, Peyton Manning is by dropping seven or eight in coverage and getting pressure with the front four or the front three. So, you know, the defenses are starting to show that to Allen over the last four or five games going back to certainly the AFC Championship game. Um, and against the, the Ravens as well. They're showing him that respect by dropping players into coverage. And so there's someone there to spy him if he decides to run and scramble. Um, there's guys clogging up the passing lanes. There's guys in particular clogging up the Cole Beasley safety routes um, underneath. And so it's just it's more difficult for him. This is something he's going to have to sell scout and figure out. And he and Brian Dable are going to have to figure out how to beat that coverage stuff uh, so that you know it's not just you know being able to beat man to man off the line and hitting Cole Beasley for seven yards each time you know on some of those slant routes it's or Stefan Diggs on the um in cuts they're gonna have to figure out ways to beat the zone defenses that they're seeing and Miami's a mostly uh, man defense um I, I haven't seen the numbers yet but I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me to see them go like almost 50 50 zone and man even though they love just playing straight up man 100 percent of the time so I think it's a combination of him trying to do too much and then the defense giving him a much different look now that he's proven his arm talent and his you know head talent in the league. He needs to figure out how to beat those different defenses that are playing, the way the defenses are playing him differently. So uh, thanks for your question over at Rumblings Q&A. Nashville asks us, why can't Allen play like a top 10 QB? Not even an MVP QB, just a top 10 QB. Josh Allen is 26th in yards, 29th in completion percentage, 30th in yards per attempt, and 26th in adjusted net yards per attempt. Those are not very good rankings. Part of it is that the Buffalo Bills didn't need him to do any more against the Miami Dolphins. Um, you know, they really relied on the run game because they had so many nice defensive stops because the run game was working. Um, you can't even really use the Pittsburgh Steelers have a good defense excuse because the guy leading the league in a bunch of different passing st statistics is Derek Carr, who just played the Steelers in week two. 
So, yeah, he has not been playing like a top 10 quarterback. That doesn't mean he won't. It doesn't mean he can't. Uh, it doesn't mean you know he can't do that this week against the Washington football team who has another talented front four. So, I mean, I'm still not like jumping off the the Josh Allen train here right now. Um, you know, the team's one and one in, in the lead in the AFC East. Um, you know, Bruce Nolan's been saying that three games is a trend, and so we're two games into the season. If you know, after this game and the next game and the game after that, Allen is still struggling, then I'll start to be concerned. Um, I'm not concerned just yet. So why can't he just play like a top ten QB? I think he will. Just hasn't yet. 716 asks us, why is Tom Brady still so good? I can't say I'm an expert on Tom Brady, especially since he's been on the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, it is really remarkable what he's been able to do at the past the age of 40. Um, I saw a stat that said it's likely by like week four or week five he's going to pass. He's going to throw more touchdowns in his 40s than he had than he did in his 20s. Um, just seeing his progression has been truly remarkable. He's obviously the greatest quarterback of all time. I think um, at this point nobody's going to really argue with me about that. Um, you know, part of it, a lot of it probably is taking care of his body the right way and um, you know, just doing the things that most of us aren't willing to do. Um, most people would say that they're willing to do anything to you know, have a long career or win a Super Bowl or whatever, but it's more about what you're willing to not do. I'm not going to go out and party. I'm not going to do you know whatever it is. I'm not going to eat this thing that I love eating because it'll help me in this area. And so you know, if that's what it is, if it's just nutrition living the right way, I mean, a lot of us say that we want that, but aren't necessarily willing to. So I'm certainly not. I have pizza logs during the game. I love chicken wings or you know, pizza and all that stuff. And so Tom Brady is taking care of himself in ways that I'm not willing to. So um, that's why he's still kicking butt in his uh, 40s. So there you go. Last question goes to uh, Sean, who says, what's happening with our running backs? Will this be the surprise of every week? Also, I do think it's going to be very game specific, um, whether or not they keep all three of their main running backs. Let's exclude Taiwan Jones and Reggie Gilliam for a second. Um, if they're going to keep Matt Breida, Zach Moss, and Devin Singletary active every single week, I don't think that's going to happen every week. Uh, but I do think it's going to happen several weeks. Um, they clearly like Zach Moss as their short yardage back over Devin Singletary. Um, they have no problem putting Devin Singletary in as the, the bell cow back, uh, obviously after week one. So I, I think it is going to be game specific. They want to keep a package with Matt Breida where he can use his speed out of the backfield um, and also back up Isaiah McKenzie, especially if he's still dealing with any lingering problems from his shoulder injuries. So I do think it's going to be very week to week and very game specific. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me this week to see Zach Moss inactive again. It wouldn't surprise me this week to see Matt Breida inactive um, if everybody gets healthy and they have to make some tougher decisions on the inactive list. So it's going to be very week to week with the running backs, the running game in particular. I mean, Dawson Knox was on the field for 83% of the snaps this week. It was clearly a run heavy game plan. I don't know if that's going to be the case every week, like against the the Kansas City Chiefs. I just don't think it's going to be it's going to be an option against the the Buccaneers. I know it's not going to be an option. They're going to be chucking it all over the field against that front four. So you're going to see it a little bit differently as we go uh, from game to game. 
Um, Sean had one more question that he asked at the end. How is our defense so dominant against Miami compared to last week with what we thought would be a bad Steelers offensive line? Part of it, a big part of it, was that Ben Roethlisberger is way better at getting the ball out of his hands than Jacoby Brissett and Tua were. Um, you know, just part of that being a veteran. You know, There was one time where Tremaine Edmonds came untouched off the edge, and Ben Roethlisberger just like threw it as hard as he could at Tremaine Edmonds' outstretched hands or arms so that Edmonds would just knock it down. And that took like 1.3 seconds or one and a half seconds. Whereas Brissett and Tua held on to that ball and tried to step up into the pocket and avoid the rush and couldn't. And so I think part of it is that. You know, I mean, AJ Epinesa coming around the corner on that right tackle. I mean, there's a couple times where we just saw the tackles completely whiff on their assignments or the the Dolphins offensive lineman just block the wrong guy, uh, double team a guy and leave another guy untouched. And so, you know, part of it's luck. Um, the Steelers blocked it up really well, uh, even though they had inexperienced guys where the Dolphins, who also have inexperienced offensive linemen, don't get me wrong, uh, just didn't quite have the same uh, fortitude that the Steelers did. So um, I think a lot of that was, was was game planning by the Steelers. They were able to game plan for the Bills for several weeks, whereas the Dolphins didn't really have that kind of time. So that's part of it. Um, but also, I mean, the Bills just played a lot better against the Dolphins front four or front offensive line than they did against the, the Steelers offensive line. So, uh, it's Sorry, I don't have a, a better answer uh, for you than that, but that's what I got. Uh, as always, you can send in your questions for next week's episode at 716-508-0405. <clears throat> you can tweet us at Rumblings Q&A with the word and spelled out in the middle. Email us buffalorumblings at espionation.com. You can leave comments in the comment section of our show notes articles over at Buffalo Rumblings uh, Instagram and Facebook messages with me as well. There's lots of ways you can get in touch with the show and ask your questions for this episode. Until after the Washington game, go Bills. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Right now, businesses are facing tough choices. Do you cut costs or drive growth? Solve for today or build for tomorrow? Do you satisfy your shareholders or satisfy your customers? The answer is yes. You don't have to choose. With the intelligent platform for digital business from ServiceNow, you can say yes to unifying your existing systems and yes to accelerating growth. Visit servicenow.com to see how we can help you put yes to work. The world works with ServiceNow.